0: Not finish Ahaz though. We will finish Jotham, but Ahaz, uh, we have two different uh, collections of the things that went on in his life. We're going to get through the Kings one, we'll leave the Chronicles one for next time. But here with uh, Jotham, in the second year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. Probably not Zadok the priest from uh, David's day. But, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. So he's described as a good king. When we get over to... uh, Chronicles, we're going to see that it still says the same thing. He did all the things right like his father Uzziah, except he didn't enter into the house of the Lord. So it puts that little little note on there, which is good. You're not supposed to enter in the way that Uzziah had done. But Uzziah was a good king. We saw last time, had a bad ending, but he was a good king. He was a favorite of some of the prophets. And Jotham seems to have followed in his, his same way. He is uh, Jotham is compared to Uzziah. He's not compared to David. Most times David is brought the comparison and most of the times we see it it's they did not follow after the ways of David. But we don't say that he doesn't follow after the ways of David. We say he followed after the way of Uzziah. And Uzziah was under David. He wasn't quite as good. He's good. Not quite as good as David. So that's what we know about Jotham. And Syria and Israel will join forces against I put it in, oh, I wrote that wrong. Syria and Israel joined forces against Judah. Excuse me for that. Verse uh, 36, Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In those days the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, against Judah. So Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. (laughs) Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. So, Jotham did some good things. There was this war that, that came out. And we'll find some things out about this. But Rezin, the king of Syria, Pekah, the son of, of Ramaliah, that's over in Israel. So, Pekah of Israel and Rezin of Syria join forces. Do not confuse Assyria with Syria. Right now, the two contending powers for world domination are Syria and Assyria. Syria is Damascus. And that will fall... I uh, believe before the, we get done this this chapter, uh, or in the next chapter, they will they will fall and Assyria will take dominance. And Nineveh was the capital, of course, of Assyria. That's where Jonah was, was sent. Those are the two big powers. It's kind of like uh, in, in our revolution, we had Britain and France. They were the two big powers. They were contending to see who was going to be the dominant one. And here they had the same type of a thing. So go over to Chronicles chapter 27. And I meant to go back and copy this in there, so I'll to have to read this off the board. I didn't, uh, I didn't, go back and get the Chronicles passage, Second Chronicles 27 and verse one. Jotham was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. That would make him how old? 41 when he dies. It gives us absolutely nothing of his death. It just says that he died. So it seems that he died of natural causes at the ripe old age of 41. <laughs> His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done, although he did not enter the temple of the Lord. But still the people acted corruptly. Now, hold it right there for a minute. You will notice that it makes note of the people. It doesn't always do this, but it's showing you the difference. Jotham was doing good. The people were doing bad. There's a lot of times people go around, and they teach. And I think I had this as a private conversation. I don't think we taught it here in the church recently anyway. But we had a, a conversation with somebody. If it was with you all, you can just remind me and I'll move on. But it is not... Sometimes people go around, and they teach things, such as, as is the leader, so are the followers. And that is not always the case. Certainly not in the Word of God. When you go back into the Bible, you will find that Moses was the best leader of any leader that there was. And how many good people did he have? I think you can count them on one hand. There were not many. He had two to four million rebellious people. He had people who rose up against God. and God wasn't happy with them. They had a great example, but they didn't follow after the example that they had. You just had a handful of people who who did pretty well. Uh, You had... um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that we... uh, David, of course, he was a good leader. He had some bad apples, though. He had some bad people who followed him who didn't do as good as he did. Jesus picked his 12 people that he was going to have follow. And one of them, of course, was completely bad. The rest of them were useless. Until Jesus goes and the Holy Spirit comes and inhabits them, they are totally useless. Jesus is even getting frustrated with them. How long will I be with you? He says to them. He, he, he gives them a teaching about the leaven of the Pharisees and they all think it's because they didn't bring bread. And he didn't, uh, he didn't think real good about that. A storm comes up. They go and wake him up. Don't you care that we perish? He's not very happy about that. He kind of feels like they should have taken care of it. He comes down from the Transfiguration Mountain, finds they couldn't handle this one little boy. How long will I be with you? Bring him here to me. <laughs> so we see that a lot of times Jesus is getting um, a little short with the people that he's, he's leading. Peter pulls him aside, of course, and rebukes him for teaching in a certain way. And that didn't go over real well. Jesus taught them how many times that on the third day he would raise from the dead. Before he gets to Jerusalem, he teaches them a week before. He pulls them aside before they get into Jerusalem, goes over it again with them. And still on the third day, they're sad. (laughs) It's amazing. And this was Jesus. This This was Jesus. And Paul, how many people did he have under him who became heretics, led people astray? number of people. So he had some good ones. He had the Timothys, he had the Tituses, he had some real good ones, the Silas's. He had some, some great folks, but he also had some ones who didn't do that well. They were kind of um, less than ideal. Jesus had other disciples beside the twelve, and many times we see that they all left them. And when Jesus was on the cross, how many people were actually still around? So, when it brings us up here that Jotham, who was a good leader, that the people still acted correctly. It just means they're not following the example of what they should do. That you can be a good leader, and you can also be a good follower. You can be a bad leader, and you can be a bad follower. It all depends on you. What will you do? You look at folks like Joshua. Joshua was a fantastic follower. He also made a very good leader. Not always do you see that. Sometimes some people make better followers than they do leaders. Some people make great leaders, but you don't find too many who are great leaders who were not also great followers. You need to learn how to do that. As the centurion said, I too am a man under authority. And I say to this one, go. You have to learn how to be under authority to be the best at being in authority. But the people, they didn't do so good. The people acted corruptly, but Jotham is giving them a better example. Jotham is giving them a better avenue of leadership. If you look at some other other folks in this, Elisha gave the people of his day fantastic leadership in the ways of God. Elijah gave the people fantastic leadership in the way of God. And yet, most of the people didn't follow after the way of Elijah. Most of the people didn't follow after the way of Elisha. They followed after other other ways as well. So, good leaders do not always attract and create good followers. In the same way, bad ones can have those who are good or even great. Give an example of that Saul, the king, had Jonathan as a son. What a contrast! A fantastic leader, Jonathan was, compared to his father, Saul, who was not a good leader at all. He was a good warrior. But he turned out not to be a good leader for the things of God David David came under Saul and was fantastic in that we look at even David's father David's father, not so good David came out astoundingly good the rest of the brothers were pretty much obnoxious Elisha had Gehazi that didn't work out so well but it wasn't the fault of Elisha Gehazi has to step up and he has to do some things and he didn't uh, He didn't do that. So you're going to find, the, even with good leaders, you're going to find some bad apples. And even amongst some bad leaders, you're going to find some good ones. We have to make sure that we are the best followers we can be in the positions where we are to follow and the best leaders we can be in the positions where we are leaders. But it's up to us. But don't ever go to complaining to God and say, oh, these people you gave me. Because other people have gone before you and they had worse. (laughs) They had worse. You can put your mind to the things of the Bible and you can come up with some other people that fit these categories as well. All right, go on to verse 3. And he built the upper gate of the house of the Lord and he built extensively on the wall of Ophel. Moreover, he built cities in the mountains of Judah and in the forest he built fortresses and towers. Now, this takes a little bit just to think about this Cities on mountains. Not the easiest place to build a city, but he built cities on mountains. Now, if you build the city on a mountain, it's well protected. You don't want to be the people taking the building supplies up there, but they are well protected. It's a whole lot easier to defend a city that's on a mountain than one that's down in a valley. And in the forest, he built fortresses and towers. Now, you do that because if the enemy is going to sneak up on you, they're going to try and sneak up in areas where there's covering, which would be the forest. So if you have towers and you have fortresses throughout the forest, you can protect these areas where you can't see as well. So it's all done for for defense mechanisms. Verse 5, He also fought with the king of the Ammonites and defeated them. The people of Ammon gave him in that year 100 talents of silver, 10,000 cores of wheat, and 10,000 of barley. The people of Ammon paid this to him in the second and third years also. Uh, doesn't mention the fourth year. So apparently it may have, must have stopped after three years. But they, uh, they had that going on. So verse 6. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. Now we've already seen that the people were not so good. Jotham was. The people don't hold him back. That's astounding to me. It is astounding to me that the people of the nation didn't hold back Jotham from being a mighty person because he prepared his ways before the Lord. If we prepare our ways before the Lord, good things can come about. But we have to follow after these things. We're going to have to see a contrast between Jotham here and Ahaz in just a little while. We'll come back to this this verse. Uh, Verse 7. Now the rest of the acts of Jotham and all his wars and his ways, indeed they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. I mentioned that before. So Jotham rested with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. Then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. So that's all we know about his death. He just died. In two accounts, we find out that he just died. And Ahaz, his son, is going to reign in his place. So uh, back over to 2 Kings 16. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. So how old would that make him when he died? 36. 36, and again, we have no event around his death. It just seems to be that he died. At 36... So he was 20 years old when he became king. He reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God as his father David had done. So he's compared to David, because we cannot say he is as good as his father was, Jotham, or his father before him, Uzziah. So therefore, we go all the way back to David, and we say he wasn't wasn't anything like David. He wasn't in that. He didn't walk in these ways. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills and under every green tree. So here's what he does. He does not follow after the ways of David. He follows after the ways of the kings of Israel. So what he's trying to show you here is He has gone outside of the people who led him, who influenced him, and went to people in another nation. A nation that has been declared to be uh, going in the wrong direction. That priests have said that's the wrong direction. He has seen people come into Israel. We used to be up there, but they weren't following God, so we came down here. He's heard all these kind of things going on. And they're the ones he models after. Jotham, who was a good guy, who was As far as we can tell, he's a good example for him, but Ahaz does not follow after the way of Jotham. Sometimes we think about this, you know, if if a son or a daughter does not follow after the ways of the mom and dad, then it must be the fall of the mom and dad. It's not always. There are some sons and daughters who just decide to go in their own direction. They've had great examples. They've had great things to do, but they just went into another direction. They didn't honor the things that they should have honored. And here you have this case. Ahaz is one of the worst kings. I saw one, I think uh, Dakes put it, that he was the worst king of Judah. I would disagree with him. There is one coming who is worse. He just hasn't shown up yet. Maybe at this point he's the worst king. But he will be outdone. Because he only reigns 16 years. The one who will outdo him will reign a lot longer than that. So he was 20 years old, reigned 16 years. Walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Here's what he did. He made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. So as part of the worship, it doesn't specifically say that it's Molech, but that's one of the ones of the gods that they would pass through the fire. But they would have a ritual in which you would take your, your son and offer them as a burnt sacrifice to that particular god. So here's the king offering his son who is... One of the ones in line for the throne. Whether it's the oldest son or whether he said, you know, we have the oldest son here. We'll preserve him. We'll give the second oldest. I don't know which one it was, but he took one of the sons and put him on the altar and burned him. Can you imagine as a parent being able to do that? I mean, boy, as a parent, you don't even like it when, you're, when your little kids fall down and get hurt. Putting them on, a, on an altar. With, a, with the God of Molech, it was a, uh, they had hands and it was a furnace. And you would lay them in there and the fire would come up and you'd hear the baby cry and cry until they wouldn't cry anymore. What parent can do that? God was appalled that they would do this. And the nations that were in there before were kicked out for doing such things. That's who he walked walked in the ways of the kings of Israel made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel, and he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Now, it doesn't specifically mention the bales in Kings, but in Chronicles it mentions specifically they went back to worshiping the bales. In some of the worship of the bales, the offering of the, of the children was part of their worship, and it may be one of the offerings there that is, uh, is being referenced here. And not a different God altogether. But the male Baal worship had been eradicated from both Israel and Judah. Jehu knocked it out of Israel completely. Got that whole big worship in the temple. Got everybody who worshipped Baal in there and killed them all. And Jehoiada did the same thing with Judah. He got rid of all the Baal worship out of there. Even Elijah helped to attack some of the Baal worship, getting rid of some of the priests. He didn't get no worshipers, but he got rid of some of the priests that were there. And so this, these things had already been eradicated from Judah and Israel. They were gone. And he brings it back in. How astounding that he would, he would go out there and do that. Then Rezin, king of Syria and Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war. And they besieged Ahaz but could not overcome him. And at that time, resident king of Syria captured Elath from Syria. That was a place that I believe Jotham's father had taken from them and, and went it back and drove the men of Judah from Elath. Then the Edomites went to Elath and dwell there to this day. There's a reason why the Edomites go there and dwell there and not Syria. But we'll find that out here in just a little while. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tilgrest Pileser, king of Assyria. I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who rises up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So Israel has sided themselves with Syria. Judah has sided themselves with Assyria. The two big powers Assyria and Syria. There's a big war going on and they've picked a side. And Israel picked Syria, and Judah picked Assyria. Nobody picked God. Now, here in this account, where do we leave off uh, reading? Verse 8. Here in this account, we see that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Israel, come down, and they don't completely wipe out Judah. But they fight against it, and they do a lot of damage, and they come. In pretty, they knock out a lot of cities and take a lot of stuff, but they don't completely destroy it. When we get over to Chronicles, we're going to find out that it talks about the successes that Israel had against Ahaz. And actually what happens is there's different battles. There's our, there are battles where Israel comes, up against, uh, Israel, uh, Israel comes up against Judah individually. This is talking about a, about a time when they come up jointly the joint battle is not as successful as it was when Israel came up against Ahaz by themselves. When we get over to Chronicles, we'll find out what that battle was like. In this one, they come together this way. So Ahaz decides, I'm going to buy myself some help from Assyria. And he goes out there and he sends that. Of course, every time that we've seen a prophet show up, whenever they do this, the prophet always rebukes them. Why didn't you depend on the Lord? Even when they were uh, unsaved or... Not uh, kings that are not following after God. We don't find any prophet that comes up for these folks. They may have, just not been written. There's a few references you'll find in Isaiah to this time period and even possibly one of the priests. But as we said, there were two powers competing for the supremacy. They each took, took a side. So the king of Assyria hated him for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Kerr, and killed Rezin. Rezin was the king. Now, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet tilgath Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah, the priest, the design of the altar and its pattern according to its workmanship. So, Syria is defeated by Assyria. You got the big battle going on. Israel decides to hire Assyria. Assyria. Assyria takes it as motivation. They don't come down to help them in Judah. They go over to Damascus and they attack it directly. They say, let's just go and take this thing on. They took that battle on and defeated Syria. Syria is no longer contending for the power. They are gone. But here's a story that's a little bit more detailed than what it tells us here. It sounds like once Rezin was, was killed... That was it. It wasn't quite actually the way it happened. Resin's son took the throne. When he took the throne, they surrounded Damascus and besieged it and took it. Then he came in and killed Resin's son as well. Once he did that, he set up kind of a throne in Damascus, which is not his headquarters. It was Syria's headquarters. And he took all the kings that he had conquered, and he had them all come to Damascus where he was to uh, pay homage and pay tribute money and all that sort of stuff. That's what they're going to do. So this is why the king of Judah came up. He's not coming up to thank him for doing such a great job because Assyria doesn't see himself as indebted to the Judah at all. In fact, uh, in some in the chapters to come, you're going to see that Assyria is going to come down and be plaguing these folks and attacking them. But he comes on up to Damascus and he says... Uh, Look at, look at that altar. We don't think that this is the country that just lost to Assyria. We're like, look at that wonderful altar that they made. And so he gets there. He jots it down or he has somebody jot it down. Take this over to the priest and have him make one for me. I want one just like that. So they send it on down. And while the king is gone, they start making this thing. Verse 11. Then Uriah, the priest, built an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. Sir Urijah, the priest, made it before King Ahaz came back from Damascus. And when the king came back from Damascus, the king saw the altar. The king approached the altar and made offerings on it. Who made offerings on it? Who's supposed to make offerings? Of course, you're supposed to make it on the altars that God had. So this is how far off we are, are getting. Now, Uriah is not listed in any of the uh, listings we have of the priests, the Levites. He's not there. There is one reference, I think it was Isaiah 8 and verse 2, that talks about someone by this name. Perhaps it's the same one, but it could have been someone different. But that's right around the time frame this this would have been. Uh, So he burnt... So he burned his burnt offerings and his grain offerings and he poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. So they all sound like the the right offerings but they're on the wrong altar. They're done by the wrong person probably to the wrong God. He also brought the bronze altar which was before the Lord from the front of the temple from between the new altar and the house of the Lord and put it on the north side of the new altar. So we're rearranging things now. This is where God said he wanted it and the king says no, I want it over here. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, On the great new altar, burn the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice, and his grain offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering and their drink offering, and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. And the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Now it sounds like that's going to be his own personal altar to inquire by the Lord. I'm not sure if this is exactly what's going on here or not, but uh, Dakes had a note on this and said, uh, put this aside and I'll consider what to do with it later. <laughs> so one of those, either way, it's not good. We're taking either an altar that God had made for the people's sacrifice and say, I'm going to use them for my own personal one. And this one that I came up with, uh, we're going to use that for, for the other ones. This is not good. This is, uh, this is really a guy going crazy. We're rearranging the house of the Lord. We're taking stuff out. We're getting rid of stuff. and It's, uh, it's not a good good situation. So when we think of him dying of natural causes, there may have been a little, <laughs> little extra stuff going on. Thus did Uriah the priest according to all that the king Ahaz had commanded. So whatever the king said, this priest, wherever he came from, whatever he's doing, apparently doesn't have any Levite blood in him as far as we can tell. He did whatever the king said. The king said, I want an altar this way. I want sacrifices done this way. And that's what he did. So no longer do you have the priest instructing the kings on the ways of God. The king is instructing the priest on the ways of how he wants to worship God. Does that sound like anything going on today? Do we not have governing authorities telling priests what they should do? Priests as in you know, people that are leaders for God. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. So we got a new altar. Didn't like the old one. Let's bring in a new one. And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the lavers from them. And he took down the to sea from the bronze oxen that were under it. And he put on a pavement of stones. And he removed the Sabbath pavilion which they had built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Syria. What that would probably mean is he had to take all that stuff out to pay off the king of Assyria. And these are some of the things that they lost. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz rested with his fathers. He was buried with his father in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. Well, Hezekiah was what kind of a king? It's a good king. And he's son of Ahaz. Isn't that amazing? A guy who went this bad, pursued things that no king had pursued before, started new ways to, to worship, came up with new designs, rearranged the house of God, brought in Baal worship, brought in the whole worship to sacrifice their own kids. And out of that comes Hezekiah. Utterly amazing to me. Hezekiah does not follow after after the ways of his father. He follows after the ways that God would have him to follow. But Ahaz decided to come up with a new revelation. Come up with a new way. How many people today are trying to come up with new ways? New ways to worship God. New ways to interpret scripture. New ways to please God. New ways to get to heaven. But God keeps comparing people back to the old ways. How did he do according to the things of David? How do we uh, follow after the, the things of David? Now, that pretty soon we're going to become, we have one more king left for the kings of Israel, and not many years left, but one king left. In the end, we will see that the northern kingdom lasted about 260 years. 260 years. That's a lot of years between David and where we are at right now over 300 years, three centuries will have passed from David and God is still comparing them to David because God's ways don't change. There's one way to get to heaven. There's one way to please God. There's one way to get righteous. There's not a whole lot of different ways for God. This, this is the way. As Jesus said, this is the way, walk you in it. But we kind of want to come up with new ways. We find a new altar. We find a new way of, of doing things, and I don't mean that. You know, there's some churches. You know, they maybe their new way is they're bringing in the smoke and the mirrors and the darkness and the oh, all. If you've been in one of the, and I'm not saying that you can't do that and worship God. It's uh, don't I don't mean that in necessarily a new way. The new way is more the new altars and uh, rearranging the things of God, which uh, some places are doing. In some places, you can no longer call sin sin. In some places, we're adopting translations that drop out all references to things that are evil and things that are, are, are bad. Uh, I've men- mentioned of it before, but the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version, I despise that translation. And yet, a lot of places where we're getting our and covers from, they have fallen in love with it. And there's a whole mess of nice Bible cover sp- things they can put on there, and they all have the NRSV on it. I can't use it. Even if it's an okay translation of that verse, I can't use it because I know how evil that whole translation is. I won't. Uh, I won't have it in our church. I won't have it in. It, so we, you know, we got to throw the whole thing out. It's uh, it's too much. Now, every once in a while, they put one up there where you can edit it, and I actually take all of the NR, NRSV out, put in something else, <laughs> and then put, change it all up in the in the bottom. But it's a pain in the neck to do. I will have to tell you that. So there's a whole lot of nice ones. I have a lot of. A lot of the uh, good verbiage in there from the Word of God, but nope, can't use it. And I don't feel like retyping all that because uh, there's spacing things, there's just all, just all kinds of stuff that comes in with it. But we have to make sure that we stay guarded against it. And and people don't always do this. Sometimes you know it's a gradual change. Sometimes we we um, start to, to to fellowship in this way. I've, have we seen it here with with people here? They went after fad churches. They were going here. Their kids were coming here. The things they were growing, the things of God, and they found this fad church that did stuff in prophecy. Somebody put up something on Facebook. Some—I don't know where the church was. I don't know who passed the church. I just know they were showing the, the scenes. All the people, like um, I don't know, two, three thousand people in the church, all turned to each other to prophesy. I shake my head and just, oh man, come on. This is not, you know. we had we had people who who came through here, went to other churches. And you know, they were teaching people how to prophesy by prophesying the clocks. Prophesying the chairs. How do people not see that the Spirit of God is not come on going to come on you to prophesy to a chair? Or and that's actually some of the things that they used. Oh my. I don't make mention of it to all the people who have been through here and have gone and left. I don't always tell you what it is that they've done, where it is that they've gone. Sometimes you'll notice that when they've, a few times they've come back in here, I'm not as receptive. (laughs) I'm kind of on guard. I know a little bit that went on. I know where they went to. I know what they adopted. And, oh, because we're going after new ways. We don't need to go after new ways. We need to follow after what the Word of God says. You know, we... What does the, we have a better understanding of the Word of God. We can always get a better understanding of the Word of God. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it before. Brother Hagin would talk to us about the gifts of the Spirit, that a lot of times the emphasis was getting away from the nine gifts of the Spirit, and we were going after other gifts. One of his uh, pet ones he would always talk about was the gift of discernment. I love the way he phrased it. <laughs> he, just was, he was so good with it. He said, um, he said most, what most people call the gift of discernment, is sim- simply the spirit of gossip. <laughs> it's exactly true. There is no gift of discernment in the body of Christ. There is no gift of discernment. It does not exist. It is not there. Well, what about the Bible when it says, yeah, it says the gift of discerning of spirits. It's the ability to see into the spirit realm as if they were real. And I've heard many an example of it. One you can think of in the, in the scripture is when Elisha came out and the army was surrounding him. And he said to the Lord, he said, let the, the servant's eyes be opened. And his eyes were opened and he saw the angels all around the city. He had the gift of discerning the spirits to see into the spirit realm. That's what that is. We don't hear about it too much because most people are operating in this gift of discernment, which means I can discern whether you're good or bad. I can, I can just come in and size people up and I had a conversation with that about some people. And there is a gift that, that people pass off like that, but it's in the Word of God. If you can come up to somebody and know some things about them, it could be the Word of Knowledge. Word of Knowledge is dealing with things present and things past that you have knowledge of that you don't have any way to have the knowledge of. The Word of Wisdom is about things future, but not a gift of discernment. Of course, most of those people who have the gift of discernment are busy talking about to other people about what they see and not to the person that they saw it about. That's also wrong. See, we forge new ways. No, all we've got to do is get down what the Word of God says because His way is good. His way, God's way, the Word of God says He hasn't changed. And He's been around longer than we have. If He hasn't had to change His ways, why in the world do we have to change our ways? We've got to learn His ways and pattern ourselves after them. But we keep finding, you know, that's, there's some, I'm not talking about you, but you know, people in the body of Christ, we keep looking and finding, well, this is a new way to worship God. This is the better way to do things like, like this. I'd rather be more open. Look, we can have more people come in and it's not the way we need to go. We're not looking for a new way. We are looking to understand God's ways. And Ahaz messed this up completely. He did not go after learning God's ways. He went after, over in Damascus, saw a new altar. How can we take this and bring this into what we're doing down there in the south? Even though this altar didn't do this nation any good, even though this nation has now been wiped out, gone, doesn't make any difference. This is what we're going to do. So we learn from these, these two leaders here. Jotham, good leader. Not a great leader, but he's a good leader. He's a good, solid leader. Lead, led people in the right direction and what they should go. Didn't stand up to the national sins that had been plaguing the nation for a long time. Didn't get those people to stop on the sacrificing on the high places and, and things like this. But he did a lot of good things. Kept things going in the right way. God says he was a good leader, but the people were lousy followers. So the people still continued to operate corrupt and to be corrupt. And there's a whole lot of folks who like to go around now, you know, and the reason that they're messed up and the reason they're this way is because my mom or my dad or somebody, it's always somebody else's fault. That's not God's way. God's way is you're responsible for your own sin. Don't blame it off on somebody else. This isn't their fault. He has had a great father, at least a decent father and still went in the most corrupt way. Possible. Taking issue on the areas of corruption that God would never even have dreamed of. So here's our question to ask ourselves. How am I as a follower? How am I as a leader? Am I taking people in the ways of God? Am I following as one would follow in the ways of God? Or are we pattering, patterning after the leader? Which way are we gonna are we gonna do that? I served as an assistant pastor for for uh, someone who uh, the two people who served in my position before me both staged a church coup and tried to take the, the, the power from the the pastor. One succeeded and got him kicked out for a year or two. Then the church kind of went downhill and they brought him back. So these kind of things were going on, and uh, when I came on in, you know, I was educated. He wasn't. I mean, I had education on, on the, um, how to be a pastor, how to, you know, stuff like that. He didn't have any of that sort of stuff. So I knew there would be some areas that there would be um, <laughs> distrust, whatever it be. So I tried to take everything we had and I'd bring it there for him. And I would, and I would do this. I would lay this. This is where we're going to go. This is what we're going to do. Do you have any concerns about this? Is this the way that you want to go? Is this what you want to do over here? And he, we would lay it all out in there. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Well, every once in a while... You know, I I would do some things that he didn't like. And um, he didn't talk to me about it. He talked to other people about it. And one time I was brought before at board because they didn't like something that I did. And uh, I should have handled it so much better. Now I would handle it so much better than I did then. I just sat there and took it and said, all right, well, whatever you want to do. I, that's not how I did it. That's not what I did. But <laughs> it just went on. And I, I should have stood up and I, I've... I've I've uh, kind of put myself in that position again. I says, how is it that the pastor that I served spent all this time talking to all these people and never crossed the hallway to talk to me? How is it that he didn't do that? And uh, I put that together and some other things and I finally found out that what was happening was, and this is probably what happened with others, is that inside of me were being sown seeds, seeds of rebellion seeds to come up and to, and to rebel. I said, I can see where people would, would rebel against this and try and have a power struggle and push him out. And I eventually realized I, I, I can't be in this. can't be in that kind of a, of a power struggle. I can't have these kind of seeds sown into me. And so um, I, I left there. But for a long time, I thought it was the fault of those other people leading the coup, leading the rebellion, splitting the church, all these kind of things, found out it wasn't. It may real well have been that he sowed these same kind of seeds into him, into each of these people. And I uh, will tell you what, it's just it's not good. It's not good. I, my my years that were there, I, I talk about all the time. God, God, I found out more what not to do than what to do. And so we've one of the things we've always done in here is we try and uh, yeah, I don't I don't jump to conclusions about what people do. Because I know what that was like. And I know what kind of seeds that, that sows. So a lot of times I'll sit back and, and I don't react. If somebody tells me that such and such a person did such and such, I, well, it's fine. It's <laughs> go talk to other people and find out. Because I had it first hand. That's why we're, that's in, ingrained in, in me to do it that way. But am I a good follower? Am I a good leader? I told you before the authority series, submission is never forced. If it is, it's not submission. And there's a lot of people who want to be forced into submission and then they become good followers. But have you really become a good follower? Truth is we haven't actually learned submission. We haven't learned the things that we're supposed to do. We haven't learned how to be a follower. And as soon as we're given the opportunity to rebel against God, we will. A lot of times people just don't have the opportunity. They look good, but they just don't have the opportunity. If we learn how to be submissive because we cause ourselves to be submissive and not forced to. If I learn how to be a good follower, if I learn how to follow, find out what is the will of the one that I'm supposed to be following. If I spend my time in the, the Bible, Father God, I want to know what is your will. If I find out what is your will, I'll make sure that I do it regardless of whether other people do it to me. I will do it because I'm a follower of you. That's when we're being made into good followers. It's hard to be a good follower because there's not a a whole lot of accolades for it. There's a whole lot of accolades for good leaders. There's a whole lot of things that are brought up on, on that. But where would have Moses even been if he didn't have a couple of good followers? What would have happened if he didn't have a Joshua and a Caleb? What would happen if, if just a couple of people have bring sanity to him? <laughs> David had some people that he could rely on. Not all of them were good followers, but a number of them learned how to be. And eventually they became fantastic leaders. Some of them were part of his 30. Some of his part of his inner three. They became great people. Ones that the nation depended on. So, how are we doing as a follower? Because how I am is all on me. And it will shape who I am as a leader. Am I looking for new ways? Or am I content to learn the old ways? Am I content with what God has done? Too many people want that new revelation, that new insight, that, well, God is coming back on this date. All the different things that would That people come up with. The ways of the the word of God. That's what establishes us. That's what makes us successful. That's what makes us mighty. Despite all the people that Jotham had. God made him mighty. Because he prepared his way. Before the Lord. There's lots of preparation we can do. To keep our way straight before the Lord. Lots of things we can do. And we never stop. Just keep on going. Father we thank you. For putting people in the Word of God like Jotham. Maybe he didn't become a great leader, but he was a good leader. He stayed with the things of God. You see, his son had great examples to follow after, but he chose to follow the wrong ones, even going outside of his own nation to find examples and altars and ways of worship that were alien to those in Judah. Once he brings these things in, they are hard to unroot. Father, I thank you that you help us for our own lives, that we learn how to be good followers so that we can be good leaders, that we learn the ways that are your ways, old and established, and not pursue what is new and fleeting and a distraction to the ways of the word. Thank you, Father for the help You give us in all these things. In Jesus' name, Amen.